Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole nussbaumer Naflik. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hi, this is Cole. Thanks for tuning in. I just wrapped up teaching a pretty intensive 10-week online course. Our focus, probably not surprisingly, was telling stories with data. Now, we explored a lot of topics in depth, from things like the art of feedback to the various little design decisions that go into making a graph to the process of creating a presentation literally from scratch, setting the branding, creating a slide master, and ultimately presenting powerfully. Now, interestingly, a common theme to the feedback that's been shared by students so far, and this is something that we hear frequently in our workshops as well, is how surprisingly useful people found some of the low-tech planning strategies that we covered. These are aspects that don't necessarily have anything to do with the data specifically, and yet can really make the difference between an okay and a phenomenal communication of data or communication in general. Today, I'd like to share one of my favorite low-tech planning strategies with you, storyboarding. I'll talk about exactly what it is, share how I use it, and convince you that it is the very first thing you should do the next time you are asked to create a presentation or communicate data. Storyboarding is creating a visual outline of your content, or you create any actual content. Now, it's a step in the process that used to have to happen, right, because it took such tools such experts to get information onto a slide or data into a graph that we had to get it right on paper first. That is no longer the case, right? Today, anyone can open up PowerPoint or Keynote, Prezi, Google Slides, and create a slide and another slide and another slide. You know, maybe there's some that we usually include, so we better add those. We did a presentation kind of like that last quarter. Let's insert some of those slides. Our audience expects to see this group of ones and another slide and another slide and another slide and end up with this massive deck, right? 50 pages, 80 pages, 100 page slide decks I see sometimes that may actually not get our message across effectively. So if this is a habit that sounds at all familiar, storyboarding is a process that can help break this habit, which is before we turn to our tools, we start low tech. We get pen and paper or post-it notes are my favorite tools for storyboarding. Uh, They are small, uh, which forces us to be concise in our ideas. They also lend themselves to being easily rearranged so we can explore different narrative flows. There's also something interesting that happens when we do work in our machines. 
right, do work in our computers, causes us to form attachment to what we've done. To the extent that sometimes even if we know it could be better or should be changed, we resist doing so because of the time it's already taken for us to get it where it is. Let's say, for example, that I have just spent five hours creating the most beautiful graph on the most beautiful slide. And you and I are walking through it together and we get to this particular slide. And you say to me, Cole, I actually don't think this part's so relevant. Do you want to just maybe push that back to the appendix? That feels bad. There are feelings of loss associated with that. There is true and measurable loss associated with that when we consider the five hours of work it took me to make the beautiful graph on the beautiful slide. Let's counter that with the example where I start with some low-tech planning. All right, I'm storyboarding. I've got myself a pack of Post-its, and I'm writing down ideas on each uh, with the thought that eventually I'm able to turn those ideas into slides in my deck or a section within my report. And now we're going through the Post-its, and we get to one, and we decide, you know what? That one's not relevant. Let's just recycle it. There's not the same feeling of loss involved. There's also not the five hours of lost work involved. So two points here uh, at a meta level. One is to storyboard. Secondly is to do so in a low tech fashion. Right? Paper, post-it notes. Um, I highlight post-it notes. It doesn't have to be post-it notes. Uh, a friend of mine, RJ Andrews, he swears by index cards. Uh, I know he uses them for his presentations. I think he used them when he was writing his book, Info We Trust, as well. And so he writes notes on index cards and then sorts them in, in different orders. And he says he likes them because of the transportability. Like, so he can put them in the order he wants them, stick a rubber band around him, and now stick them in his pocket and take them wherever, which is great. Right? And uh, we should use what works well for us. I personally am attached to my post-it notes. I don't move around a ton. I'm mainly in my office when I'm doing my storyboarding, and they work very well for that. Um, though you can transport them. I'll often find myself uh, putting post-its within a notebook or a large piece of paper. I'll talk more about that a bit when we get into where to storyboard. Uh, but before we do that, let me talk about my typical process for storyboarding. And I storyboard, by the way, before I'm going to do pretty much anything new. Right? I storyboarded every lecture, for example, of this 10-week course that I did. Or when we do our monthly live events in the community, I'm always storyboarding what that's going to look like before I create the actual content. So it means then by the time I get to doing the content, I already have a streamlined path in mind. And it means that oftentimes that eventual content is shorter and more targeted, right? Not this 80-page, 100-page slide deck. It's a handful of visual aids that are going to help me make my presentation really effectively. So my typical storyboarding process has three main components, brainstorming, editing, and then getting feedback. So it all starts with the brainstorming where this doesn't take very long, right? Five, 10 minutes. 
get myself a pack of post-it notes and I just start writing down ideas. This might be examples I want to include or an interesting point in the data or just ideas of things that might eventually make it onto a slide or a section in the deck. And at this point, I don't have to censor myself at all. It's open brainstorming. There are no bad ideas. I don't have to worry about how they're going to fit in or whether I'm going to include them. That all, all will happen later. So at first, it's just this cathartic process of getting all of the various ideas that are in my head out into the physical world, written down on these little sticky notes of paper so that I can start to consider them and move them around and group them. And as I mentioned, it doesn't take very long doing this, usually five or 10 minutes, depending on how uh, in-depth the thing that you need to communicate is, will be sufficient. And it's this cathartic process too. It feels good to get everything out in a way that you can see it. And then once you've done that, then you move into the editing step. And this is where now you step back and you take in the, the broad scope of ideas that are now on colored paper, <laughs> those sticky bits in front of you, and start moving them around and grouping similar ideas together. Maybe adding some additional ones to bucket ideas or start to put themes or structures around your different ones. I also always, at this point, start a discard pile. These are ideas that I've written down that for whatever reason are not going to make it into my communication or at least not in the form that I've written them. I'll be writing new ideas as I'm going through the editing process as well. And it's this idea of intentional discard. I think this is what helps storyboarding be so powerful or part of what it does. Because when we turn straight to our tools, I think there's this idea that whatever we create needs to answer every possible question that might come up. That's why we find ourselves just making more and more slides as we try to anticipate some of those questions that people will have. Whereas when we're doing this in a low-tech manner, we can ask ourselves for each potential bit of content that we debate, do we include, do we not? We can ask ourselves, does this help me make the eventual point that I want to make? Does this help me get my message across? And a lot of times the answer is no, right? It might be interesting. It might be relevant to what we're talking about, but not every bit of potential content needs to actually be a slide in your deck. Uh, now, you need to go through this process. And sometimes I'll write down the same idea five or 10 times and just discard it five or 10 times because it takes that process of me grappling with it to really convince myself that, no, right? It might be interesting, or maybe I worked hard to get at that thing. But if it's not going to serve the purpose of my communication, I don't need to spend time on it. Now, if it's a question you might be anticipating from your audience, you still need to know the answer to it, right? But it means, as I mentioned before, that not every bit of potential content needs to get into your actual communication. And that's part of the power of storyboarding. So when we do it up front, we can create or plan more targeted and typically shorter as a result of that materials. 
also, as we're editing, I mentioned this, but you're probably categorizing and grouping similar thoughts and ideas together, maybe breaking things out into sections, uh, starting to plan the order of your content. And so one thing to be aware of here is that often the typical approach that we land on initially is a logical one, right? It's structured, uh, but it's not necessarily one that has emotional appeal, right? If we step back and think about our audience and what's going to work for them, this is a great point to be able to do that, right? So we've got the pieces, we've got some initial structure, and now we can ask ourselves, how could this be better? How might I approach it differently? What's going to work best for my audience? So oftentimes the path that we end up with at the beginning is a linear path that roughly mirrors the path we took in doing the thing that we're going to communicate, which means it often starts off with the context, then goes into the details. Uh, maybe this leads us into the findings. And then finally, we get to our conclusions or the action that needs to be taken which might be a fine path for us. But if we flip that around and think about the audience to whom we are communicating, maybe there'd be some value in flipping things around. What if we start off by telling them the action that we're going to recommend? And then we could back up into some of those other things, right? Lead with the so what, so that the audience has that in mind and isn't wondering why they're listening to you or taking part in the presentation. This is also a great point to think about story and whether and how you might make use of concepts of storytelling when it comes to how you arrange and walk through your content. And so when I'm doing this, editing, right, I'm putting some structure in place, I'm categorizing, I often end up at the end of this with sort of a grid of sticky notes. Uh, I color code as I go along, so they're nice and beautiful. But it's often at this point then where I let things get a little messier. Uh, and rather than aim for a, a nice square or rectangle of content, I play with the shape. And when I'm doing this, it's often with the narrative arc in mind. The narrative arc, generally, if you imagine just uh, an arc, starts off at the left with the plot. Uh, then it rises, in the form of a rising action, right? There's some sort of tension that gets introduced into the scenario. That tension reaches a point of climax, right? The peak of that shape. And then it starts to fall down the other side. There's a falling action that brings us to the conclusion, the resolution, the thing that abates the tension that was brought to light. So I'll often, after I've spent some time brainstorming, done some initial editing, then start rearranging my sticky notes along this shape. Uh, when I started doing this, I would have sticky notes written out that said context, rising action, climax, falling action, ending. Uh, over time, though, that's become ingrained in my head. And so instead of that, I'm able to just mirror the shape and start to uh, put sticky notes along that general up and down. And this forces a couple of things. One, it just 
forces me to turn how I might have originally ordered things on its head. And it gives me a different lens to think about how I'll order my content. It's also something about putting things together in that shape that makes me more thoughtful about how I transition from one piece to the next. There's a feeling of connectedness, I think, that I don't have in the same way when I'm structuring things more linearly. The other great thing that thinking about our path in this shape does is it really makes us get clear on the tension, right? What is it about the situation that means it's something we need to communicate about in the first place? And given that, how do I bring that to light? Where should it come in? Do I need to lead with it or build up to it? Uh, and you can explore these different paths. And this is one of the reasons I like sticky notes, right? Is because you can move them around and that stick stays through a number of iterations. All right, so we've brainstormed, we've edited, uh, we've thought about arranging things along the narrative arc. Now is the time, now that we're happy, with the plan of attack to talk through it with someone else and get feedback. And what you'll find oftentimes is just the process of talking out loud helps you fine tune as you're explaining your logic and how things connect and why you chose to put something in one place over another. Also, the benefit of talking through it with someone else is obviously you get that person's opinion and ideas, and they may raise questions that you didn't think about that can help you continue to refine. This can be an awesome point in time, by the way, if it makes sense to get manager or stakeholder input, right? If you can go to your manager and say, okay, this is rough, but here's generally what I'm thinking and either get the go-ahead of, yes, that looks great, move forward, execute, or no, let's actually go in this other direction. Now you've not taken the time to put together an entire draft deck before you get that feedback. So getting feedback here, getting feedback from people who can directionally change things is an awesome thing to do if that's possible. And once you do that, you now have, I mentioned this, but this plan of attack that you can have in front of you as you start to create your content, which helps keep you on track. And as we talked about, often leads to shorter and more targeted communication. When should we do this process? So I think ideal when you can is after you've spent enough time with the context and the data so that you've got a good understanding of it, but before you start to create any polished graphs or slides, right? Because really that's the point of all of this is we're doing that planning process so that we're not inadvertently polishing things that aren't going to end up being useful or critical to our storyline. Also, the best time to storyboard is when you face a big time constraint, meaning you don't have a lot of time. Ironically, this is when we are the most likely to skip planning steps like this. The challenge is, and I understand it, right? When we're time constrained, it feels like progress to start creating something that looks like the final thing. The challenge is when that's misdirected, right? Or that energy is spent polishing something that's not critical and that attachment gets 
formed, right? And it's just, it's not an efficient way to use our limited time. So the storyboarding process doesn't take very long, right? We talked about five or 10 minutes brainstorming, another five or 10 minutes editing, and then spending some time getting feedback. So really at the end of half an hour or so, you've got a pretty robust plan of attack that can help keep you on track, reduce iterations, and just make the rest of the process more efficient. When it comes to where to storyboard, I'm a fan of changing up your location, your surroundings when you can. Uh, I think the process of doing so helps us maybe be a little more creative. And actually, I have a standard place that I storyboard when I'm in my office, which is I work at a tall black desk and my computer's on one side of that desk. And so the other side is just black open space. And so when I storyboard, I actually stand up and walk around to the other side of my desk. So I'm standing, right? Instead of sitting, I've got a different perspective on the room just because of my position in it. And there's something about that big blank open space that just makes it feel really good to fill it up with sticky notes <laughs> first in a totally disorganized manner and then just start to bring order to that and shape to that. I like sticky notes, I mentioned, but part of it is just because of the stick. It's summer here in Wisconsin, slowly becoming summer. And so I can take my sticky notes outside and sit in the sun as I brainstorm and edit. That stick keeps things from blowing away. I also personally enjoy working in busy cafes. All right, this was not a reality for a long time, but now I think we can slowly start to get back to such things. But there's something about that background hum that uh, makes it really, uh, somehow really easy to focus inward that I think is helpful for the sort of thought process that needs to happen with some of this stuff. But all of that's just to say, you know, figure out a space that's going to work for you, for what you need. If you're ever feeling stuck, or I think especially if this feels like something maybe a little different or a little uncomfortable, changing up the space may be a, a way to get yourself over any initial hesitancy or hump. Storyboarding as a team can be an awesome thing to do. So, so far we've talked about how to do this on your own. Uh, you know, when in a team, you just add more people to the mix. They definitely recommend doing it in person when you can. I actually can distinctly remember a time that Elizabeth and I, uh, we were storyboarding her introduction. This was shortly before uh, one of her first workshops. We were in Washington, D.C. in a hotel room, and we were trying to figure out because something about it was falling flat. And so we took her current intro and just mapped it out. We wrote down the pieces on different Post-it notes and started mapping it out. And actually, physically the way that we did this. And this is what I'll do often if I'm moving around to different spaces or I'll sometimes sit on the floor and storyboard is then when I need to move it to where I can see it, uh, you know, as I'm at my computer or take it with me, I'll get a big piece of paper, uh, the thicker sort of paper that's a little card stocky. I really like the 14 by seven inch, right? Not just not to be super specific. It's a great size when you're using small post-its. So when I'm storyboarding, I'm typically using the pretty tiny squares. They're uh, one and seventh, eight inch per side. 
And so in this instance, I actually traveled with one of these big papers folded up. And then when we're there, we're mapping things out and doing so we realized the tension was missing or it wasn't missing, but we hadn't brought it to light uh, in the way that we could, right? It wasn't getting highlighted as clearly as we wanted. And so that was one of those eureka moments. And then she went on to nail her introduction the next day, which was fun to see. So do it in person if you can, but we're not always co-located with the people with whom we want to brainstorm and storyboard. So in that case, you want to figure out what tools might help emulate the sort of process that you would do if you were in person with sticky notes or with a whiteboard. Uh, so Miro is a tool that's popular here. It's a whiteboarding tool. It's got some sticky note functionality as well, but you don't need fancy tools necessarily. I think consider what you have at your disposal and how you might make that work. For example, you could have a slide deck in slide sorter view where you just have the topics on each slide, like you would a sticky note in big text uh, so that you can see them all at once. And then you could have someone driving who's sharing their screen in that slide sorter view so that you can move things around. Everybody can see them as you're discussing. Now you can have your discard pile at the end. And storyboarding as a team is a really awesome thing to do. Anytime you've got people working on a project together, I think this can be really useful. Uh, it creates shared ownership and helps ensure everybody's on the same page. I think in particular, when various pieces of the overall communication are going to be executed by different people, doing this process together up front can help lend both cohesiveness across as well as help people understand how the thing that they're working on fits into the bigger picture. And then in a team setting as well, right, you get feedback sort of as you go by the fact that you're talking about it with each other, uh, but can still be great then to get feedback from someone who's not been a part of that process uh, so that you make sure what you have put together is going to make sense for your eventual audience. And interestingly, perhaps unexpectedly, I think storyboarding as part of the planning process also can help you present, right? So it benefits your materials, but also your eventual delivery of those materials if there's something that you're going to talk through live. And I think there's something about having that visual of how the pieces are going to fit together right? The potential alternative paths not taken and why the things you decided to discard and why becomes easier to pull that image into your mind in a way that allows you then to talk through it more smoothly and connect the pieces for others. So I hope it's been useful to hear about the process of storyboarding. Really, the best way to experience its utility is to start doing it. And it for sure is one of those things that it, if it's not something you've been doing, it can feel a little awkward at first. Push through that. Stick with it uh, because you'll be able to see the benefit pretty quickly in. And as we've talked about, there are so many different ways that this thoughtful planning up front helps us. Right? Helps us plan our content, helps us talk with others effectively, helps us eventually present. 
And the more you do it, like anything, it just becomes part of your routine. And so if you need some additional guidance, there are a number of both examples and exercises that you can undertake uh, for storyboarding and some other low-tech strategies as well in chapter one of Let's Practice. There are also exercises in the online storytelling with data community. In particular, there's one that prompts you to storyboard with a given project of your choice. Uh, my Tableau conference presentation from 2019 actually goes into storyboarding, illustrates through an example, showing both that low-tech part of the process as well as how that evolves into a final presentation. I'll include links to each of these things uh, and other resources that we've mentioned here in the show notes. So I'll say the next time you're faced with an important communication, don't just dive in and start creating content. Pause up front, grab yourself a pack of post-its, and take some time to storyboard. I guarantee that what you create will be a better product as a result of this. Before we wrap, a couple of quick updates. Uh, first, I am very excited to announce that we are bringing people together this fall in person for what is sure to be a fun day of learning. This will be through a one-day workshop here in Milwaukee that'll take place on October 21st at the iconic Harley-Davidson Museum. It's a super fun venue and the entire Storytelling with Data team will be there and we would love to have you take part. Related to today's topic, participants will actually get to practice storyboarding and a whole lot more. We do also have upcoming virtual offerings for those who don't want to travel. Details on all of that can be found at storytellingwithdata.com slash workshops. As a special thank you to those listening, you can use the code podcast10 at checkout for 10% off the listed price. Again, that's podcast10. Our next virtual event will take place on July 28th. This is 2021. I will share the case study that I contributed to Steve Wexler's new book, The Big Picture, and show how the same study results can be optimized for two very different audiences. That's open to premium members in the Storytelling with Data community. More info at community.storytellingwithdata.com slash premium. Speaking of the community, I also want to point people's attention to a great conversation that is happening there. Started with a blog post that Alex on the team recently published called My Bars Don't Start at Zero. She shares a scenario with sensory data. She iterates for a number of different views and then decides that she actually prefers bars without a zero baseline. This brought up an important distinction that the rule actually isn't that bar charts need to start at zero, but rather don't truncate bars in a way that doesn't show the full range of potential values. I love the passionate debate this post prompted and encourage you to check that out. You'll find that at community.storytellingwithdata.com slash talk. There are also a ton of other free resources in the Storytelling with Data community. Find ways to practice, get feedback, discover great work, and more. Join us and access a community of support for your learning. That's at community.storytellingwithdata.com. I also have a community starter guide for you that you'll find at storytellingwithdata.com slash community. And that's a lot of links. We'll make sure that all of those get into the show notes. 
If you like what you see here, please subscribe and share with a friend. And with that, be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Also check out all of the great resources at storytellingwithdata.com. Thanks for listening.